The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Hey, I don't know uh, about you, but um, it seems to me a good way to look at life. It's a, it's a process of discovery. Uh, we go through life and we're constantly discovering um, and hopefully you get to the point where you realize as beautiful as creation is, the creator is so much more beautiful. And then you realize as part of your discovery that the creator has good things for you. He has great things for you. He says he does. And he says that he knew what he had in store before we even took our first breath. So hopefully in your process of discovery, you start to realize, well, God, now I discover you. I discover your love. Now I'm beginning to discover your ways And now I'm beginning to discover your plans, and hopefully you are here this morning because you are aiming at something that God's put in your life, relationship with Him, and also something that might be uh, better than gold, better than gold. Uh, In fact, speaking of discovery and and gold, there's a a story, you may have heard it before, but I love this story. Um, It was in the gold mining era in California, and there was a miner who... um, felt there might be some gold in this mountain. So back then, he, he went to the um, state and he, and he filed for a permit. To, he staked a claim on this mountain. And that means he's the only one who gets to mine for gold. So he's searching and searching. He's tunneling through the side of this mountain. He's going and going. And one year turns to another and turns to another and turns to another. And he's back there with his pickaxe and he's th- blowing some dynamite and shoveling it out of the way. And he's tunneled way back into this mountain. And this has been going on and on. And then finally, finally, he puts down his pickaxe, puts down his second lantern, even some sticks of dynamite. He walks out the entry, he blows it closed, and he walks away. And no one hears from him. Well, this guy eventually had passed away, and there was a mining company who realized, hey, there used to be a mine there, and they checked with the state of California, and said, is there still a claim on that mountain? And they said, no, the claim's expired. So the mining company said, well, we want to stake a claim on that mountain. They said, absolutely, sure you can. So they went to the place where the mine was closed shut. They removed everything out of the way. They ended up going all the way back to the end of the tunnel. And at the end of the tunnel, they found the old miner's pickaxe and his lantern and a few sticks of dynamite. And they continued to tunnel through that mountain. And wouldn't you know it, but just three feet away, they found one of the biggest discoveries of gold in California history. Three feet away. To know that that miner was only three feet away of every dream and everything that he'd hoped for. This gold standard, this vein of gold in this mountain was only three feet away. Um, You know, it's not very different from our lives in many ways because we too are pursuing things. Uh, We might have our own, what we would call the gold standard in our life. What is the thing you're aiming at? What's the thing you're going for? Where is your life positioned and pointing at? Whatever that is, that's your gold standard in life. We all have one, whether we say it or not, we're aiming at something. And sometimes we first don't even discover what God has. And second of all, sometimes we stop three feet away from the very thing that we were searching for. And so this morning, I want to challenge all of us in this room, myself included, what is stopping us, stopping us 
from fully pursuing and discovering everything that God has for us? What is stopping us? Because sometimes we too get three feet away and get tired and a little burned out and a little uh, disheartened or whatever it might be and we turn around and walk away or we start pursuing something else instead of the, the very dream that God put in front of us. If you have your Bibles with you, Matthew 19, we're teaching through this book. It's been an awesome journey so far. And um, we're, looking at, um, we're looking at it through the lens of what's stopping you. What is stopping you from the great things that God has for your life? He's called us into a life, the Bible calls it the abundant life, the eternal life. Uh, the abundant life that, that God offers isn't just heaven when we get there. It's life in the Holy Spirit on planet earth in relationship with God. Literally communing with God in relationship on the planet, filled with his power, his love, pay, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. All these blessings and endowments of God, living life abundantly here and now by faith wholeheartedly with Jesus, and eternally later on. That's the life that he's calling us to. And I wonder, all of us, myself included, if we're fully stepping into it. What is stopping us? And today we're going to look at a story of a guy who comes up to Jesus and knows that Jesus has all the answers to life. And he comes to Jesus with this question, I know you understand and know it all. Tell me, what do I have to do to have this amazing life. He's looking for the gold, just like the miner in the story. He's looking for the gold, not monetary gold. He's looking for eternal life. He's like, Jesus, what does it take for me to have that? And Jesus starts to explain to him. And we begin to see in the story that sometimes there's things that get in the way. And what are you and I going to do with the things that get in the way? So Matthew chapter 19, you can have, read this on your device or we have it for the screen. Uh, up there. It's Matthew 19. We're starting in verse 16. It's where we had left off. Uh, how many of you guys know what God is offering us is far greater than gold? You guys agree with that? Far greater than gold. Think of yourself like that miner who chiseled and chiseled but didn't quite get there, but just had no idea what was just a little bit ahead. I really believe by faith there are things in our lives. God, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him uh, and that God rewards faith. Um, and, and our whole journey is by faith, not by sight. And so God is laying out these things. And if we would believe him at his word and walk these things out by faith, we will get on, on the discoveries that God has for us and be um, filled with his love and his power and be an influence for his glory. And so the story here is, is this man who approaches Jesus. Um, but we're going to see maybe he's got one, just one little thing getting in the way. Just like you and I might have one little thing getting in the way. For that miner, it was just really two little things. Just three feet of concrete, three feet of rock, and a little bit of endurance. Just a couple things. Three feet of rock, not huge, but it got in the way. A little bit more endurance got in the way. I think we might have little things that get in the way too, and let's see what the Lord has for us in this passage for application in our life. Picking up in verse 16, it goes like this. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good, and if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your mother and father, and love 
your neighbor as yourself. All of these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? So the question he's asking him is, what do I have to do to get this eternal life? I believe there is an eternal life. I believe I can acquire it, but tell me what I need to do to get this eternal life. So his assumption, his understanding is that, is that there is an eternal life and I can obtain it, I can get it. Coming to you, Jesus, you have the answers, you know how to obtain it. Uh, but the understanding is also this idea that I realize, Jesus, if I do bad things, I get consequences. If I do good things, I'm going to get eternal life. Tell me what do I have to do? This is the mindset of this gentleman in the story. And be, be honest with you, 2,000 years later, that is still the mindset of most people on the planet. That what, if I do bad things, bad things happen to me. If I do good things, good things happen to me. And if I'm going to have eternal life or go to heaven, most people, if you were to take a census, and there's been plenty of studies done on this, asking people about eternal life, the concept or reality of heaven, depending on your view, what does it take to get it? Most people answer the question, do more good than bad. You've heard this, right? More good than bad. And generally speaking, if you ask people, do you think you are going? Do you think you have eternal life? Most people would say, yes, because I'm a pretty good, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not bad like the people on the news or some other people. I'm a pretty good person. So on my scales, according to my eyes and my lens and my view, I do more good and bad, so I'm already in on that. And this man comes to Jesus and says, I'm asking you because I know you have the answers, Jesus. I know you have the answers. And so far in the Gospels, there's been other people who have come to Jesus the same way, saying, Lord, we know you're the one. Tell us. Nicodemus came at night. Lord, we know you're, you got the answers. We're asking you about eternal life because you come from the Father, the Jewish Messiah walking on earth. Tell us what it takes. So we see this sequence of people coming to Jesus and saying, what does it take uh, to get there? And he's asking Jesus about what is good. And Jesus goes, only God is good. And the assumption is here, you're coming to me asking what is good in the Jewish context, is you're calling me good and you know God is good. Sir, do you understand I'm the sent one? Do you understand I'm the son? There's this there's this tension going on in the Jewish culture of calling Jesus good, reserved for God, and Jesus is calling him out. Do you understand the source of what you're talking about? It seems to be that he understands Jesus' authority. And that's why he's not taking this question to the Pharisees. He's taking this question to Jesus. It seems to be he recognizes the authority of Jesus and his words and his mission and his ministry and his identity. And he, he comes to Jesus. And Jesus answers the question, you want to know where to start, sir? Follow the Ten Commandments. Great place to start. And that is a great place to start. Again, this part of history was before the cross. Jesus died on the cross and paid a price that no one could ever pay. This side of the cross, he's telling this man, I want you to follow the Ten Commandments. And um, the nature of these commandments, as you guys know, there was two tablets that Moses made. Uh, four are related to God, God's name, his day, his nature. No other gods don't make any other images. And the other ones revo- uh, relate to humanity how we don't cheat, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet, these sort of things. So part of the commandments are vertical to God, respect for God, honor for God, living that way. And the other ones are horizontal, how we deal with humanity. And so Jesus says, here's the, here's the summary, love God and love others, essentially, which the Bible says summarizes anything anyway for all of our lives, to love God and to love others. And how many of you guys would, would admit that it's easier sometimes to love God than it is to love others. 
right? It's easier to love God because God's all loving and he loves you and it's easier to love God. But sometimes others is a challenge. So Jesus is calling this man out on loving others. And the man says, yeah, I already, uh, I already do all that. Now, I don't know if the guy really did do all of that, but Jesus didn't stop right there. Uh, he's, but the man's saying, I already do all that stuff you said. I already do that. Um, but he's essentially saying, but Jesus, if there's one thing stopping me, because there's eternal life, if there's one thing stopping me, he's like, what do I still lack? I already do that, but I want eternal life. And I already do those things. What do I lack for that eternal life? Because the man is saying, I know I don't have it. I know I'm not living in it. I want what you offer, and I want what the people following you have. I don't have it. How do I get it? I'm doing the commandments, but I know I'm still lacking something. What is it? There's just one thing getting in the way, Jesus. What is it? Tell me what it is. This is interesting that he is honest and transparent with, with Jesus like this. I tell you what, anything in your life stopping you from discovering what God has for you begins with this sort of question like this guy. Anything, if you want to know the fullness of God's plan for your life, the next steps he has for you to take and stay in faith, what they are, it begins with this approach right here of, of him saying, Jesus, what, would you tell me what's getting in the way? If there's one thing on me, I know I'm praying for stuff, I'm praying for you to move mountains and open doors, but with me, God, with me, if there's one thing getting in the way with me stopping, would you tell me? Isn't that interesting? I don't know that we all do that, but that's what he's doing. And I believe discovery begins right here. And there's a lot for us to glean in this story. King David said this. I think we have it for the screen. Psalm 139, uh, verse 23. He says, search me, O God. God, search me, this heart of mine. Mm, there's some stuff going on in here, God. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting life. David is saying the same thing this guy is. I want the everlasting life. Just like the guy in the story. Jesus, tell me how to have that life eternally in heaven, but here on earth. I want it. And the guy in the story is saying the same thing. But this guy saying, search my heart, know me, and test me. And this man in the story today is coming to Jesus and saying, I do all that, but I think I still, something in the way, Jesus. Oh no, I, I got something blocking. Well, what else do I got to do? There's got to be something else. And I just, I love the, the progression of this story. I'm going to give you four quick points and I want to encourage you to write these down or put them in your phone because these will help you with breakthrough and discovery on God's plan for your life. If you want to discover what God has next for you and you want to get into the sequence and the process of what God has for you in this abundant life that he offers for his people, I think we need to look at a sequence here. We see it right in the story with this man, and we see how Jesus concludes it. The first point is this. God searches our hearts and knows what gets in the way. How many of you guys believe that this morning? That God searches our hearts and he knows what gets in the way. Can I be honest? Sometimes we don't even know what gets in the way. Sometimes we have no idea what gets in the way. We might be praying for something else, and maybe it's us. Maybe it's our heart. Maybe it's our mind. Like David said, search me, know my thoughts and my heart, God. The guy in the story, Lord, I, I'm doing that, but I'm still not there. What's, what's up with me, God? What do I got to do? What's, what's off? Is something got to change? And the first point this morning is God searches our hearts and knows what gets in the way. The second one is 
Do I really want to know? <laughs> Do I really want to know? Because sometimes that's where people <laughs> drop the mic. <laughs> Do I really want to know? Hmm, I don't know. Some people don't want to know. You've heard the expression, ignorance is bliss, right? Maybe don't want to know. Don't want to know. And there's a lot of people who don't continue the road of discovery to find the gold standard in their life with the Lord because they, they, they don't want to know. They don't want to know. But if you believe God searches hearts and he knows what gets in the way, the next question is really, do I really want to know? I mean, really, do I really want to know? Um, because if you do, that's great. You can continue to move on in this process of discovery. But if you don't, then discovery ends right there. And we choose ignorance instead of discovery, instead of revelation. Third point is, am I willing to ask? Am I willing to ask? God, you search hearts. You know what gets in the way. Do I really want to know? Oh, here goes. Yes, I, I, I really want to know. Okay, God, so I'm going to ask you, like the man in the story. I do the commandments. I don't have, a, what does it take? Something's in the way. Is it me? Is it, I, let me know, God. I'm, I'm wide open. Like David, Lord, search my heart. Know my heart. Know my condition. Know my issues. Know my thoughts. Something's in the way. I want the everlasting life. I want the abundant life. Something's blocking. God searches our hearts. Knows what gets in the way. Do I really want to know? Am I willing to ask? And the third point uh, fourth point, excuse me, am I willing to accept his answer? Now, this is a big one because this is also a place where people stop on the road of discovery. Am I willing to accept his answer? Some people don't even get this far because they don't want to know, not really. But if you do want to know and you are willing to ask, the Bible says, ask and you shall find, knock and the door will be open, seek and you will find. We have not because we ask not, so ask. And then when we get the answer, are we willing to accept the answer? And that's important because some people, including myself at times, sometimes we don't want the answer. Because what does the answer normally mean for us? Something's got to shift, right? If we get the answer, something in our life's got to change. Something's got to shift, right? Things don't go life as normal. If we get revelation and discovery, on accepting an answer from God about what's getting in the way, we have to change. We got to own that. We're praying for breakthrough. We're praying for revelation. We're praying for discovery. We're praying for open doors. We're praying for God to move mountains. But sometimes that's not blocking the abundant life. Sometimes it's the heart and the thoughts and the, like David's praying, what's getting in the way? And are we willing to ask? And are we willing to accept the answer? That's really important. I remember when I was in this exact same place, as this guy in the story. I was new to the faith. I was in the faith about a year or two, just learning about Jesus and reading the Bible. And I went on a church retreat. And uh, I, I looked around and I saw some people who had a really intense relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And it was overflowing out of their life. Just the joy, the peace, the patience, every, just everything. I just saw life in the Holy Spirit all around them. But I saw other believers. I wasn't really seeing that. And I'm like, Lord, I want that kind of faith. I want the real kind of faith. Just like the guy in the story asking Jesus, probably sees something with the disciples that he doesn't have. I want that. And so I was like, Lord, I want that. And I did this process right here. I really want to know and I'm willing to ask. And I was praying, seeking God on this retreat and just pressing in with God. God, show me. God, speak to me. God, let me know. God, 
reveal to me. And I, I have to tell you, uh, I was in this time of really pressing in and praying and, and, and just, just really pressing into the throne, if you know what I'm talking about. And all of a sudden, God answered. And the way he answered, I said, Lord, what is getting in the way? Search my heart, search my mind, know my ways, know my thoughts. What is getting in the way? And I got a visual. God gave me a word. And this visual was five big letters, P-R-I-D-E, like an exit sign, bigger than life. And I remember being shocked and being stunned and being very saddened by that, by that word. And I remember going, Lord, that, that, that felt like a, a backhand, a rebuke to me in some kind of way. I'm like, I want to know what's getting in the way, but I, I didn't know what to do with that word because I, wasn't, I didn't think I was better than anybody. That's kind of what prideful is. I wasn't boastful. That's what prideful is. In the restaurant, I talked to the busboy. Hey, what's up, bud? How you doing, man? Awesome. I, I'm not prideful that way. And I was shocked and stunned and sta- saddened that the Lord gave me this word, pride. And I'm like, just camping out on this for the rest of the weekend. I'm like, sitting at the end of this pier going, how am I prideful, God? I don't really know why I'm prideful. And I felt the Lord say to me, you care too much about what the wrong people think. You care too much about what the wrong people think. You care too much about your reputation. You care too much about how other people see you. You guys see how that's pride? Oh, he rang my bell. He read my mail. Because I did care too much. He, I did care too much about how people saw me. It says in Galatians 1.10, we have for the, for the screen up here, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or God, or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Ooh, that was my word. And that was something I asked, God gave, do I really want to know? Okay, I got to own it. And things had a shift in my life. That doesn't mean don't love people and don't be kind to people and don't be gracious to people and don't do all these other wonderful things we do as a witness to people. But I can't live my life to the audience of everyone. I got to live my life to the audience of one. Does that make sense? Guys, that's what having a Lord means. The idea of Jesus being nice and a savior and oh, what a friend we have in Jesus is wonderful. But Lord is a whole nother category. Lord is up here. And I went on that retreat with this friend in Jesus. I went on that retreat with a savior. And he called me out and said, you don't have any of that stuff you want because I'm not really Lord. But to be Lord, you can't care more about what people think. You need to shift that and change it with me. And it rocked my world and it was revolutionary. And Galatians says the same thing. Paul is talking the same way. He's like, guys, He can't really be first in our life if what people think about us is first. If we care what kind of review we get, uh, or if we ever get an Oscar, if our identity is founded in all these things and not God's view of us, we're really missing out, everything's out of order. Well, that's important because something's coming up in this story about this guy, and Jesus is reading his mail like he reads all of our mail, and if we're willing to ask him, he will tell us what gets in the way and what we have the opportunity to own and change if we're willing to follow through. The Bible says, and we're going to see it come forth with this guy, him being the Lord, that means everything else can't be the Lord at the same time. It just doesn't work that way. How many of you know God doesn't share his throne? God doesn't share the throne. He's on the throne or he's not on the throne. We either put him there or we take him off the throne, but God's either on the throne or he's not on the throne. The Bible says this. Jesus said it earlier, Matthew 6, 24. He said, no one can serve two masters, 
either he will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's true with many things. You can't serve God in fame. You can't serve God in self. You can't serve God in everything. But in this context, Jesus said you can't serve God in money. And he says this because some people, like that guy pursuing the gold, everything in his life was focused on literal, tangible gold, money. I want to be rich. I'm going after the money, the money, and, and the aim. And, and there's nothing wrong with wealth, wrong with wealth, and there's nothing wrong with money. But it, when it becomes the God, when it becomes the thing we serve, when it's the thing we idolize and put on the throne, God can't be on that throne. And that's why Jesus says that. And there were many wealthy people that followed Jesus. And Jesus had no issues or problems with their wealth. It wasn't their wealth that mattered. The wealthy people that were following Jesus, he had poor people and wealthy people. He had every kind of person following. But the point of it was the people that were wealthy following Jesus, they didn't love their money. They had money. They were wise, intelligent. They invested. They made money. They used it and leveraged it. But they didn't love, they didn't love money. Mary uh, Magdalene poured out a year's worth of wages in perfume on Jesus. Ladies, imagine you went down to Rodeo Drive and took the most expensive gallon of imported French perfume that was average. The Bible says it's an average year's wage. L.A., average year's wage, according to statistics, is $60,000. Ladies, you go down to Rodeo Drive and you buy a $60,000 imported one-of-a-kind bottle of some kind of perfume. And that's the kind of money you apparently have to buy a thing like that and take it and just pour it all over Jesus. All over Jesus. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea in the Bible, the one who actually asked uh, Pilate for Jesus' body. He was wealthy. He was so wealthy, he had access to the governor. Sometimes people with their wealth, they have access through their wealth. Have you seen how that works? If people have a lot of money, they have access that maybe others don't have. He had so much wealth, he goes right to the governor. Jesus' body, I want it. And the governor's like, uh, yeah, sure, okay. Make sure he's, they're going to make sure he's dead. They're going to put a spear through his side and make sure water comes out. And after that, he's all yours. And he puts him in his own custom tomb. I've been in Israel. I've been in the tomb that has been said to be Joseph's tomb. It's a very custom tomb. It's not a cheap way of burial like everybody else was buried. It was a beautiful custom side of a mountain, custom real estate with a specially hand-carved tomb. And you know what's interesting about the tomb that's known to be Jesus' tomb? It was chiseled out to fit a custom size of the person for whom the tomb was made, right? Joseph of Arimathea likely had this tomb cut out for him. And then very quickly and very hastily, somebody chiseled out the feet portion to make it longer to fit a different body. Isn't that different? Interesting. And Jesus' body was known to be laid in this tomb quickly modified to fit Jesus. He was wealthy. Lydia in the Bible, in the book of Acts, Lydia was a very wealthy businesswoman, very wealthy businesswoman. She was brilliant in marketing and strategy, and she, uh, she took things like the color purple, which was so hard to create purple dye because there was no place to get it, and she was able to get this together and make garments for royalty, for, for the rich of the rich who could afford to buy purple, she created and made it and distributed it. She had a whole distribution chain, people working for her, manufacturing. Very brilliant woman. These are all people committed to Jesus, and their wealth never got in the way. So what's important, and this is important for you, and it's important for me, and it was very important for the man in the story here, is our fifth point this morning. When it comes to money, 
when it comes to money. It's not what I have, but where it's at that matters. When it comes to money, it's not what I have, but where it's at. You can have $10, you can have $10 million. It's not what you have that matters. It's where it's at that matters. Because if that $10 is on the throne, then God's not. Or if the 10 million's on the throne, then God's not. Does that make sense? You can't serve God in money. Only one can be on the throne. Jesus said that. And so we say that because you're going to see something unfold with this man in the story that is very central to what we're talking about. And I would uh, throw this point in there too, six, six point this morning. To ask ourselves this morning, are my finances, are my finances consecrated? Meaning, is God really first in all areas of my life? If you call Jesus Lord... I'm not here to tell you whether you do or not. I hope you do, or I hope you're learning to trust him. We're all at these different levels of trust. But if you call him Lord, is he Lord of all areas? And this money part is central to this passage we're reading today. Because money was very central to this man in the story's life. It was so central, it was getting in the way in a major, major way. So I asked the question this morning, and I believe Jesus is challenging the man in the story this way. Are my finances consecrated to God? Is God really first? Is our life, will I give time to God, but my finances that God don't even look at them? <laughs> don't even look at them, God. That's a, or you know, does, that, you know, does that make sense? Like our finances, or it's something that we say, God, the earth is yours and everything in it and everything you've given me is from you. And we live for God's glory. And then likely what you're gonna see is God continue to bless you, because the Bible says he will when you put him first, and you will get to be a steward of the resources God gives you. But some people, when it comes to finances and God, there is a shift, and that's why God says you can't serve money and God. There are some people can say God all day, but at the end of the day, the money is on the throne, and that's what's going to happen in this story right here. So Jesus sees this rich man, and Jesus sees this rich man's just got one thing in the way. You want greatness, sir? You're asking me about abundant life. There's just one little thing getting in the way. Just, just one, just one thing. One thing getting in the way in between you and true greatness, sir. You're asking me about abundant life and it's right here for the taking. You can just reach out and grab it. There's one thing getting in the way. And he moves on in verse 21. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Everybody say that. Then come Come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Wow. So Jesus is saying, look, you want to be perfect? You want to be righteous, sir? You're asking me about this. I'll tell you what it's going to take. For you to step into the fullness of God's plan for your life, um, I want to tell you, but I can see there's something in the way. And he's being honest with the guy. You ask me an honest question, I'm going to give you an honest answer. There's something in the way. He's saying, let me help you get that thing out of the way so you can enter into the greatness that you're looking for. How many of you guys know that life is too short and eternity is too long to have something blocking you? We don't want something blocking us for the next 10, 20, 30 years when, it, when Jesus could have helped us take it out of the way. And that's what's going on with the story. Jesus is like, let me help you. Let me show you how to take, Jesus is saying to this man, let me show you how to take your love of money and wealth, which was this guy's, let me show you how to take it off the throne of your life, sir. You're asking me a question. I'll give you the answer. It's only one thing separating you from greatness. Let's take your love of money and your love of wealth and stuff 
and, and let's ratchet that down and let's put God on top. Let's really do that. And we can do it right here today, sir. And the guy looks at him like, no, no, not going to do it. He's like, yeah, one thing away. You're three feet away from gold. <laughs> You're three feet away from gold. You're talking to me. You're three feet away from gold, sir. You're asking me about abundant life. I got truckloads of abundant life for you. But this money thing that's been ruling you, you got to kick that down and put God up. And this is where uh, the story goes. And it says he went away sad. This guy is so sad about this. In this moment, this guy has everything in his life weighing in the balance with this question of Jesus. It has to do with the lordship. Is he lord or not? Sir, are you going to have your stuff, your fame, your fortune, your reviews? It doesn't matter what it is. It can be anything. For this guy, it was money and wealth. It could be anything. It could be what people think about you, or it could be anything. It could be a job. It could be just whatever we want to... The Bible says to tear down anything. Listen, anything that rises itself up against the knowledge of God. Amen? Anything that rises itself up against the place where God should be, to tear it down, the Bible says that, because God needs to be first in our lives. This guy's got his whole life hanging in the balances. Everything is depending on this. Like the miner, he's three feet away from gold. And yet, he went away sad. He went away sad. Why did he go away sad? Because he simply was not going to do what Jesus asked him to do. And he knew, I know you're offering something, but I'm never going to have what you're offering because I'm never going to give up what you asked me to give up. I'm never going to knock down off my throne what you asked me to, and it's frustrating because I want this and I want that, Jesus. And Jesus said, no, I got this for you, and this is way better, but you got to give this one up. And so he went away sad. You know, it's interesting. Other people in the Bible, Matthew, who wrote this gospel, was a tax collector, and he was wealthy. You had to be wealthy to be a tax collector. With the Roman Empire, you buy your way into the job. So he bought his way into the job, Matthew, the tax collector, writing this gospel to Matthew, and they skimmed from the top all the time. So the guy was living pretty large and living pretty wealthy. And Jesus came up to his tax collector's booth. And Matthew knew, uh-oh, here comes the Messiah. God's sending a message. I wonder what it is. And Jesus said, Matthew, leave the booth and follow me. Stop ripping people off. Stop living for the money. Stop trying to monetize on everybody that comes in front of you in your booth. And follow me because Matthew, you got money up here and you're ripping people. You're doing whatever it takes to get it and I want you to follow me. And you know what Matthew did? You're right. Flips his table over and walks away and started following Jesus. He enters into gold and the rest is history. We're reading his account this morning, 2,000 years later, because he went on this journey with Jesus, which was monumental and epic. If we stayed behind that booth, he never would have done it. And by the way, he didn't walk away sad. He walked away happy. The Bible says what he did, this rich man, that gave up his wealth, the Lord of his life, his money, for Jesus replaced it. What he did is threw a big party for all of his friends right away. And he was very happy throwing a party. Yet this rich man in the story is walking away very sad. Two rich people having an encounter to follow Jesus. One walks away sad and another one walks away with joy, throwing a party. It's interesting. Verse 23, the apostles hear this. They're a little challenged with this. And it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, uh, Truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone 
who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. This is a famous passage you guys have heard before, a, uh, a camel going through the eye of a needle, and Jesus is using what's referred to as hyperbole, which he is saying something very true, but he exaggerates his adjectives to get a point and really to ring it home. This is the same as him saying to me and you, for us to take the log out of our own eye before we take the speck out of somebody else's, right? Take the log. No one's walking around with a log in their eye, literally. Hyperbole is take the log out of our eye for the speck, same thing. The principle is true. It's a reality. It's a fact, but it's exaggerated so we get the intensity of the point. Jesus is talking about a camel going through the eye of the needle. The camel is the biggest animal in Israel. The eye of a needle is very small, and everyone's like, how's that supposed to happen? And Jesus is like, that's the point. It's extreme. And that's because wealth can buy access and buy pretty much anything that anyone wants in life. Wealth can, some, can be a blessing or wealth can be a curse. Money can be a blessing or it can be a curse. Again, there's people following Jesus with plenty of money. It was a blessing in their circles. But for other people, it's really a curse. And why is that? Because although they can buy access to things and access to people, you cannot buy access to heaven. Amen? You can do anything you want. When you, buy. you have houses in every city. You can have, do whatever you want. You have 50 million people serving. Do anything you want and pay for any medication, pay for anything you want to insulate yourself to a peaceful realm of lifestyle. But it's not the abundant life. And most people know it. But they can't buy access to heaven. And this rich man wanted eternal life, but wanted to hold on to this with everything he had. And this was his challenge. So sometimes wealth can make us feel invincible. Um, and sometimes wealth has people feel a sense that they don't really need God. Like they'll buy anything they want in life. They'll get anything they want. They can just buy it, order it, or have somebody get it for them so they don't feel a need for God. And so it closes this passage. The disciples say in verse 25, and this would be great if the worship team comes up. Uh, verse 25 says this, uh, When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at him and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit also on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Jesus is reminding the apostles in this passage that only God makes heaven possible. You can't buy it, can't earn it. It's a free gift of grace. We come by faith based on Jesus' honing work on the cross. It's freely available. And he's basically saying it's available, but like the man in the story, don't let anything get in the way. And if you're a note taker, just write that final one down. When it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to following Jesus, don't let anything get in the way. Don't let anything get in the way. Some people, because of the culture of their family or their background, some people, I talked to a, a friend of mine, a pastor at my small group, I meet with a group of pastors on Thursday. He said, yeah, we had a, a Muslim gal get uh, baptized this week. And I'm like, that is awesome. He goes, yeah, but now her whole life's about to change because she's going to tell her family and they're going to disown her. 
And there are cultures where there's this owning over following Jesus. And Jesus is like, what are you going to let get in the way? What's stopping you? What are you going to get to let, let get in the way? And this passage is telling us when it comes to Jesus, don't let anything get in the way. And Peter's saying, what about us? We've left everything. And Jesus said, listen, whatever you've left, you're going to get multiplied a hundredfold. Would everybody say a hundredfold? A hundredfold. Jesus is saying, whatever you give up or sacrifice to me, you are going to get rewarded a hundredfold, is Jesus' words. And rewards on earth are great, but they don't last that long. And re- rewards in eternity last forever. And he's talking about a hundredfold return on whatever we sacrifice or give up for his namesake. And that is amazing. Um, last thing I want to say, the apostles, by the way, when he's talking about family and what you give up, it's not giving up to ever walk away from family. It's just their opinion above following God cannot rule in your life. How many of you guys ever read uh, Pilgrim's Progress? Story of Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, I really highly encourage you to read it. Next to the Bible for many years, it was the most sold book on the planet um, for many, many years until more recently. Next to the Bible, great story. But Pilgrim has a family and Pilgrim encounters Jesus and Pilgrim decides to follow Jesus. And his family is like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm following Jesus. And as you read the story, you, you're thinking maybe he left his home to follow Jesus, but he didn't. He's still with his family, but spiritually he's following Jesus. And they don't get it, and they don't appreciate it. But way later on, Pilgrim dies. He passes away and he goes to glory, and he gets to that city of gold, just that he was aiming for all along. He found the gold. And after he passed, his family went, you know what? I think dad was right. I think dad was right. I think he was on the journey to abundant life and we criticized it, we critiqued it, but now we too want to go on the journey. And the second part of Pilgrim's Progress is the wife and kids also begin their journey following Jesus. It's not about leaving family per se. It's not letting family get in the way of anyone following Jesus. I know when I stepped out of a Catholic background and in my family to step into a uh, a full life with Jesus, the way I read the word of God, meant breaking away from my past, my background, my culture. I'm not saying everyone has to. I did. I had to. And for me, it was a major disruption in everything that had to do with my family and our history and where we're from. And people just don't do that. And I'm like, I had had to break out, but I had to break out into freedom. Amen. So the point is this, guys, don't let anything get in the way of following Jesus. And I want to ask you what's stopping you this morning. We're going to close in a prayer and a worship song this morning. Our prayer team is going to come up here. But I want to challenge you, what's stopping you? Is there an area in your life that is hindering you from greatness, from hindering you from walking in full devotion to Jesus the Messiah? What's stopping you from fully making him Lord? Not, not having a, the man in the story appreciated Jesus. The man in the story knew Jesus had answered. The man in the story even spent time asking Jesus questions like Christians do. But the man in the story was not able to take things off the throne and put Jesus on it. And I want to encourage that all of us are willing to do that. I just want to ask you, I want to pray with you this morning. If you sense there's something, something that's getting in the way through this passage, or if you're willing to say, God, what is getting in the way? I just want to ask you to stand right now. We're going to pray. Um, and, and we're going to ask God to reveal some things and take some things out of the way um, because God wants to do a work in our heart. And life is too short, guys. Life is too short to have things, have one little thing blocking us 
And so, Lord, we just come before you this morning, God. I thank you for the family of believers. I thank you for your word and the power of it. I thank you that we can um, just explore these truths, 2,000 years old, but they're spiritual truths that apply to us today. And like the man on the story, he respected you, Jesus. He honored you. He even had a form of religion following commandments. He was said he was a pretty good person. That's what he said. And yet he asked you, what does it take? And you said, you got to put me first. You didn't tell everybody else in the Bible to, to get rid of all their stuff and get rid of their wealth, but you did say it to this man because you knew that it was a God to him. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us in the room. I pray first, if anyone in this room doesn't know what's blocking, I pray for your revelation right now. I pray you'd begin wisdom, discernment. We'd begin to hear. Just like on that retreat, I got a word from you with my eyes closed and it was a visual, whether it's you speaking in a still small voice by your Holy Spirit or visual, an optic, a something to see, but God, I pray, or through a circumstance or through a scripture, I pray everyone in this room would get a revelation from you of what is getting in the way, myself included, God. I don't want anything blocking me. I don't want anything hindering or slowing down. This walk, this race that we're in for you, God, this journey of abundant life, I pray, search our hearts, know our anxious thoughts, reveal what it is, and Lord, we're willing to take it out of the way, but God, we might need your help just like the man in the story, you said, let me make it clear. If you take this down and lift this up, your future is going to change. So I pray whatever area in our life, Lord, there might be all these different areas in our life, Lord, our personal life, our, our Sunday life, our Christian life, our work life, our hobby life, our whatever realm it is, our family life, our leisure life, our entertainment life. I, I don't know what areas, Lord, you're speaking to this morning, but whatever area, God, We've knocked you off a throne or never put you on it. You're asking us to be Lord of all. You want to be Lord of all. I pray today we would take that down and say that in the privacy of your heart this morning. Lord, I'm taking stuff off my throne. I'm putting you on it. I want to make you the king of my universe. I want to make you the king of my life. I want to turn. I want to follow you this day forward. I want to make you the Lord of all. And I want to walk in the fullness of this abundant life you offer. Let me shine for your glory. Lead me and fill me as I trust and believe you. Thank you for paying a, a price I could never pay for myself. I just want to turn and follow you this morning. We thank you for that. We ask these things in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Amen, amen guys. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.